Hello, everyone, and welcome to Open Sources 12 here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, 12th Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of 12th Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. The burning question, Adam, is has your Halloween candy managed to stay intact? I haven't gotten any yet. Oh, you haven't gotten it yet? Okay. No. The first, I, I broke my own record. It's been two weeks, and the box is uncracked, so... Maybe that just goes with age, or I don't know. Uh, I don't know. There was a time where I was going out and getting another one, though. <laughs> what kind of candy is it? It's the, it's the mix one of the mixed bags, always chocolate though. Oh yeah. So normally gone. But... I see. Um. All right. Well, good stuff for the bunker. More candy for the kids this year. Yeah. <laughs> Mons is out of reach. Mons is not within reach of the. I see. We're okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. As we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 3 City Councilor Michelle Richardson. Um, she is going to tell us about some of the coming budget issues and the budget process at City Hall and the many different pressures that are going to be on the bottom line and how the city can really do or what the city can really do about the housing crisis given all that that's going to be in the bottom half of the hour before that we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week including the new convoy which is like the new coke it's something you know that you never wanted but it's being foisted on you anyway so what's the deal with this what's the deal with this new convoy uh, but first, uh, war still going in Israel and Gaza. Uh, we're almost at the end of the second week. Um, Saturday morning will mark, obviously, the, the end of the second week of this horrific situation going on in the Middle East. About 1,400 people were killed in that first day. That number went up. Uh, they're now saying about 199 people are being held hostage. Uh, according to uh, authorities, about 3,500 people have been killed in Gaza so far. No water, no electricity, uh, running out of supplies. Um, the WHO is saying that conditions are spiraling out of control. Benjamin Netanyahu announced on Wednesday that uh, after meeting with Joe Biden that they will, al- they will allow humanitarian aid to enter into Gaza from the Egyptian side which is good news because uh, there are a lot of trucks backed up, lined up at the uh, Gaza and Egyptian border waiting for the word. Uh, There's still been no ground invasion. A lot of people thought there would have been one uh, after last weekend when Israelis gave people in the northern portion of Gaza 24 hours to get out of the way, essentially, to evacuate. Evacuate where was the question? Because as we talked about last week, uh, Gaza's pretty well insulated um, and and uh, doesn't really let people leave. So where were those people going to go? That's a question that remains. Um, rocket fire uh, Wednesday night, our time in uh, Gaza. And as we were saying, this comes after uh, Joe Biden was in the area. It seems to me that, or it seems to a lot of people who who know these situations, not me, I'm not a 
foreign affairs analyst by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, that Joe Biden seems to be, while he's sort of promoting unequivocal support of Israel um, publicly, that he's probably doing a lot behind the scenes to keep uh, the situation going from too far off the proverbial chain. Yeah, and the ground, I guess, was softened a bit with uh, Blinken earlier going doing the rounds he went to saudi and i can't remember exactly where else but the you were speaking of the bombings there was the bombing of the uh, hospital yep death toll 500 and probably higher and still seems to be unknown as to who it was but that doesn't you know the conflict wasn't going on wouldn't happen but anyway that stalled the what was supposedly sounded like was going to be peace talks in jordan Mm. with uh assorted people going to be there but they said no we, we can't do this now so that that was paused it was strictly uh, a visit to israel for biden and you know for for better or worse at least in contrast to trump biden has a grasp of the material <laughs> the, the mess would be a hell of a lot messier and uh i kind of i he didn't make an appearance so i was hoping that kissinger wasn't part of the contingent which i wouldn't put past them at this point but uh, maybe he's not traveling these days either. Uh, anyway, so he is a yeah, hundred years old. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but by it, yeah, there's a there's a history there too. I saw the preview. Was it gold? The gold of my ear movie. It's like it's weird how all this is kind of lining up now. Uh, but anyway, Biden looked wiped. Like he, I'm I'm not saying this to be ageist or old because he's older. But he like I don't think he got the nap on the plane. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, so as you said, I don't think it's just him doing the work. It's contingent, right? So, mm. well, I think but, the news but, about the hospital came in as he was in flight, so that probably wasn't great, con- conducive to napping. Oh <laughs> well, no, for sure. I'm, I'm not saying they should have, but it's just like yeah, just, no, yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to deliver the, um, del- say deliver the lines, which I guess is essentially what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, he did. You know, there was a, a bit about you know we need to help civilians and and. Uh, Netanyahu had to kind of sit there and take it when it, you know Biden saying, "Look, he really, he didn't say back off, but it was like we're, we've got this aid for the people of Gaza, and we want to get the border open." So it wasn't, yeah. So it wasn't strictly, even though the the support is one hundred percent with Israel, it that wasn't just the point. So there's these little little pieces of the the other narrative. What did he call the the rocket attack? He said something like it was the guys on the other team. It just sounded like a really weird way to put it. We think mm-hmm. the other team did it. You mean Hamas? You mean who do you mean? Yeah, Islamic Jihad. Who, who do you mean? So it was it was a strange comment. That's what I'm saying. I thought he was he was tired when he was doing his freewheeling there. That other team, you know, there. Uh. Anyway, no, it's um, I I think he's being purposely careful with his language. I I also think a lesson was learned uh last week with the whole thing about the 40 babies decapitated yeah. which no proof of that has been generated uh you know uh israel did release some pretty horrific photos of burned bodies and and of of babies but um nothing that's you know this one thing you know it was the perfect encapsulation of that old twain quote about how the a lie goes around the world before the truth puts on its shoes mm. um and so i i think that that has played into biden's calculations somewhat he doesn't want to say because from, from all appearances and i i was watching um a former general 
on CNN today do some analysis of some of the pictures of the site. It doesn't look like it would have been a bomb, the type of bomb that Israel would use to drop on a target. Like there's no like big crater. Um, you know, the cars were on the scene were still pretty intact. This isn't to say that, you know, it was a harmless bomb. Um, as you said, 500 people died, but it, it does seem like it might be more like a misfire from a rocket. Um, I think, um, Islamic Jihad has sort of been been pegged for this in some quarters. Um, but I mean, whether or not Israel is responsible for this or not, um, or Hamas is responsible. I mean, of course, it's it's in Hamas's best interest to paint Israel in the worst possible light. But I mean, this is this is a situation where there are war crimes all around, and that's not again not to say that Israel doesn't have a right to defend itself. But you know, Gaza. It's not like Gaza was a paradise, and they're putting the screws to it. Gaza was pretty worn down before this started, and now it's even more worn down. Um, with you know the WHO talking about how it's you know it's deteriorating out of control i think is what i just read that quote mm-hmm. so it's i, I mean it, we're in this kind of weird holding phase right now i'm i'm kind of surprised to some extent that netanyahu's still kind of um if you want to call it restraint it, it, it i mean i think by what one might expect from him at this point there the, the reaction has been kind of restrained and it's it's one of those situations where it, it does make you wonder what's going on behind the scenes, um, which is unf- fortunately and unfortunately kind of, you know, when there's an information vacuum, that's where the sort of misinformation flourishes. Um, but, you know, a lot of the best stuff diplomatically happens um, behind channels because that's where you can sort of be honest and, and be direct and know that there isn't a reporter in the corner taking notes. Um these things are sensitive. These things are delicate. And, and this is like a really precarious moment. Sometimes these are the worst moments, like waiting for somebody to do something. I think that's one of the reasons why the the hospital attack had the impact it did. We're just, we've been waiting for the better part of a week for something bad to happen and something bad happened. Unfortunately. Yeah. Something terrible happened in the worst situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, what you're saying, I mean, there's a, I don't think there is a line between right to defend yourself and and creating a humanitarian crisis and and bombing innocent, literally innocent people, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is, I mean, that's the question. When does it stop? Is like it's Trudeau had said I think earlier was you know this bombing was not acceptable. Well, yeah, of course it's not acceptable. <laughs> ever, right? ever the master of understatement. Yeah, they don't. They don't seem to know where the rocket came from. But but if it's Israel, we you know we would have used a bigger one and bombed you like even deeper into the ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> so see, how how big is the club, right? How how heavy are we, are we going to beat you? We told you to leave. We told yeah. you to to in twenty four hours get south of this line. Mm-hmm. No water, dirty aquifers, uh, sewage everywhere. Hospitals are trashed before the bomb hit that particular one. Crossings closed, so nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Thousands hundreds at least trapped under buildings right it's yeah. like what, what how how far do you take this what's what's the level and and it, i think there was some hope as to whether biden was going to get a ceasefire i don't think that's happening but i think netanyahu's been told i think they've said to him look you know you need to you need to ease up yeah rhetoric would be better than what they're doing right well i also to talk than than just to, just to do what they are doing which is criminal 
I also wouldn't underestimate the local pressure too. As as we talked about last week, like is Israeli papers and Israeli media have been pretty harsh on Netanyahu for the intelligence failure. And there's been some like analysis on <laughs> the, the Hamas fighters who went in um, to Israel in that first attack on October 7th wearing GoPro cameras because, you know, it's all about the the propaganda. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you see them consulting, you know, maps and they had like maps and stuff that showed them like sort of where the IDF was like posted up and where like the, you know, the weapons and where comms would be. And, you know, intelligence analysts have been saying like they have they've been working on this for over a year, at least. This has been a year in the works. And you have to ask yourself, it's like, can anyone, especially one of the most well-known terrorist groups in the world, plan anything um, in, in a complete information void? No, of course not. There were leaks. There were mm-hmm. warning signs. Something bad was coming. They They did their homework on this one. And I think that's something that's going to have to really be seriously analyzed. And in the aftermath of this crisis, has Israel been so hooked up on its own um, internal political infighting with a, a corrupt prime minister who's been doing everything to stave off consequences from corruption that they missed a huge freaking terrorist attack coming down the pipe? I mean, that's obviously this isn't the time for that kind of discussion. But I mean, it, 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 it's, it's worth keeping in mind that once this is over, it's not over. Yeah, and I don't think they hatched the whole thing in the tunnels. They keep going on no, with these damn no. tunnels. It's like, it sounds like they did it not using technology. They did it the old-fashioned way, right? Yep. So if you're not using not using the phones and you're not using the internet at all, just pretty much passing notes. Yep. And do that for a year. Yep. I mean, maybe not completely devoid of tech, but you know that that's no. that's the workaround. But if you're not moving like, a computer around, it's it's hard to you know. You know, you're not hooking it up to Wi-Fi everywhere. There's no signal to chase. So, I mean, you can use technology smartly and brick technology so that it's harder to track. But, I mean, lo-fi is still the best fi. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, as you know, I totally agree with that. But, <laughs> but just before we go, there, I just want to say a word for the journalists. Ten dead so far. Yeah, yeah. thank not you. Not sure how many more. Um, still 350 some odd Canadians in Gaza trapped effectively six killed six canadians yeah Yeah. Uh, also in israel as well right so yeah but uh and uh you know how that's going to pan out we don't know yeah there are a lot of canadians who are like sort of trapped in gaza i mean you know there's no way to get out and um there was the one case of somebody who has like a an infant because the infant doesn't have papers because they're an infant so you know you uh, that person could get out if they had a way out but they'd have to leave the infant behind and it's well that's that's no choice either so um it, it does seem like from the um meeting well, i know that trudeau's called for you know having a humanitarian corridor i think biden's done the same mm. I, I think you know it Again, Netanyahu hasn't gotten out the hickory switch just yet, so there's probably a lot of wiggle room here to try and like get as many people out as possible, um, especially the foreign nationals. But I don't yeah, know. The, it's the it's still a waiting be, game. The infant must be Hamas, right? So he's got to stay behind. Like, yeah, they're just being ridiculous. But I mean, yeah. But I mean, it's also. I mean, that's also kind of a reminder that you know, there's that that kid. And his mom in Chicago, who were killed by their landlord on the mm-hmm. weekend because he was just was 
looking to lash out at Muslim people. And of course, there are like there's a lot of anti-Semitism and a lot of Israelis, uh, a lot of Jewish people feeling the the lick of um, more anti-Semitism to these days. I you know so I hate you know you hate saying it's a both sides thing, but it, it really is a both sides thing. Jewish people and Muslim people both have more reasons to be afraid today than they might have had a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's one group who probably shouldn't be afraid. Um, it's, uh, the, the dissidents of camp X, which is, uh, this location just outside Ottawa, a small town called Castleman, um, where a group of, uh, pe- they're calling themselves the save the children convoy. If this sounds vaguely familiar, it's because it's of a similar brand to a lot of those, um, save the children protests that happened a couple of weeks ago, including here in Guelph. Um, these are people who are ostensibly against, um, lgbtq plus inclusion um they believe in a lot of conspiracy theories about um pedophiles having access to children children being abducted um some of them are just against you know comprehensive sex education and gender affirming care um but either way they have established uh what they're calling a convoy it's their words not mine uh they have established a convoy they they are not um occupying the streets of Ottawa so much as stopping going in for the day and then going back to their camp uh but either way uh i mean the the rhetoric is um pretty uh up there with some of the stuff you might have heard during the freedom convoy in 2022 also they have a, a lot of organizers in common too so um it, we we wanted to highlight this obviously because it's you know I've been following this because I follow a lot of people who are um, engaged in in the extremist realm. It hasn't quite in, quite gotten to the realm of the quote unquote mainstream media. I, I did notice in an Ottawa Citizen article where uh, a vigil for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls had to be canceled because it was on the first day of 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 this protest, and the organizer there said she didn't want you know people coming for a a vigil on um on a, an important issue to get lumped in with people who were there for sort of frivolousness so understandable but i mean it, it, this is something that's kind of having a real world impact even if we're looking at it and saying this is silly but uh there there's silly and then there's uh, you know silly until it's serious so kind of kind of you know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, kind of a, a similar attitude, I think, to the Freedom Convoy, which was ignored and ignored and ignored until it couldn't be ignored anymore, and then it becomes a thing. Yeah, and this seems to be the remains of the Freedom Convoy. They're, they're, they do mm. lack organizational skills. I've said this before. They, they're all over the place. Like these mm-hmm. protests, which are, you're allowed to do that, of course. But it, it it's difficult to follow. The narrative was easy to follow when it was the convoy occupying all of Ottawa. But this is like, mm-hmm. as you said, it's these little protests. Like I found one was on the 5th of October, mostly, you know, bylaw violations or whatever for booze. And you're not, you can't have a megaphone, mm-hmm. all these minor little things. And then they, then they decamp again and go back to where this camp or seemingly there's two now. Uh, I don't know if there's been a schism or it's just, there's too many people in, Castleman, which is a very, very small place. I've actually been through their work I used to do, and it's not it's not the place you would think mm-hmm. uh, that this would take place, but it's it's in a rural, slightly out of the way area. Same with the um Queen of Canada, Romana de Dula, right? Camptown yeah, Saskatchewan yeah, yeah. in an old school or whatever the heck that is, in mm-hmm. a small town. 
uh, threatening the townspeople. I mean, she's cut of the same cloth, a bit mm. more culty. Uh, I see it all as cult personally. It's it's not even like a. It's it has all the hallmarks, you know, QAnon, New Age, sovereign citizens with, um, all of that. What we saw during the convoy and more. And now it's of course they're focusing on the save the children. One of the protests I saw a clip of was a silent protest with duct tape, and I was saying to myself, "Boy, I bet the people of Ottawa are really happy <laughs> that that's the protest that's going on, right? Because they're all they have the signs and duct tape, and that's fine, right?" Mm-hmm. And it, you know, the film again, there's no, there's no one is saying anything and they're like, great, go ahead, <laughs> knock yourselves out. I'm sure that, you know, but I was wondering, I'm wondering as to whether they wanted this to align with the trial. The trial yeah, I had that thought too. going on, right? It's like, yeah. we want, we want our attention too. don't give it all to our leaders. Yeah. Quotes, or maybe not the trial will decide. Yeah. I had, I had a similar thought too. Um, also, the start of this was interesting because October the 4th was supposed to be this day because there was like a, a test of the national broadcast system in the States and like, you know, our emergency alert system, you know, it's on, it's basically on their phones now. It's not on the TV, exclusively on the TV as it was. But there was yeah. this thing going around in like queue adjacent communities that um, October the 4th, the signal would go off and everyone like something would happen. Um, likely to people who are vaccinated, but that that wasn't made explicitly clear. Just that something was going to happen on October the fourth when they had this emergency broadcast test. Um, and then we get to this October the fifth thing. Um, and yeah, th- there is stuff with the convoy. I mean, we're going to see it again. It'll be interesting to see this weekend how many people come out to uh, Royal City Park as they're planning another save the local save the children march there this weekend. Um, but to, to get to like, you were talking the schism that it seems to be like the group seemed to be like breaking apart. There was this video that was going viral of, um, one of the other organizers who shows up to this camp X in Castleman and, um, people start yelling at him, like as a, the, that he's like a traitor or that he's like some, some kind of agent that's been sent to infiltrate them. And he had to get in his car and leave as like, people were like getting on top of his windshield mm-hmm. and like punching it. So there is this like paranoid turn in all of this, and and to, I mean, to paint a picture, we we can laugh at it, of course, but to paint a picture of how, um, how dangerous this might be, there was apparently, and this is this is from reporting in Press Progress, which and Luke LeBron has done a lot of interesting reporting on this, probably a lot of the best reporting, to be honest, mm. um, that there were a series of like secret in person meetings where they were kind of plotting this. And it turned out to be like too extreme for some people who ended up turning around and 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 trying to alert like people in the media like press progress about this, that um they were meeting in person at various locations. They had a plan to round up all the cops and the MPs. There's a three-phase plan. They would occupy the financial district in Toronto wait for the police to come in and then they would have a second convoy come in and box in the police. And then they would take the police uh, hostage or something. Um, and then there was a plan to go to Ottawa, surround eight federal buildings and take the Ottawa police and all the MPs into custody. And then this last part, um, they were going to cut off the head of the snake, quote unquote, by taking out a Freemason compound 
in Tofino, British Columbia, where all of this, I guess, all the 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 standing orders are coming from. So that was a leak from a couple of people who were privy to some of the plans at these meetings. I guess that was like the most extreme end. That was the most in- ambitious version of this plan. So I guess maybe we count ourselves lucky that they're just like walking around downtown Ottawa with duct tape on the over their mouths. But I mean, this could be a lot worse. And you know, how long until you know somebody competent comes along and starts pushing these people to the extreme end again? I think that's an open-ended question. Well, that's it. I've always said that is like once once they discover proper organizational skills, yeah. they're going to be a problem. Now they are when when it's talk like that, rhetoric like that, which is conspiratorial and sounds conspiratorial, it's also very problematic. I did see one clip of a guy was talking about um something about the, the US, the troops from the states are going to come up and save us from China. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, United Nations and there's a bit of anti-immigrant talk in there as well so there there are there seem to be these certain actors within it that lean that way Mm -hmm. and you know those well we'll call them conspiracies that you were talking about there it's like oh so you're going to take hostages like what hamas or you you Mm -hmm. are the good guys or who Mm -hmm. who, what's the plan here Mm -hmm. because we know you love guns we know you love all of these things uh yeah i mean that it you know hopefully it's days just at the level of people doing silent protests or just being the usual goofballs that you know please put your megaphone down but when it starts to get heavier like that you do you do see the aspects of it that are that are obviously far more dangerous and there were elements of that in the ottawa convoy the large convoy as well yeah well you mentioned you mentioned you know white hats and that you know that was i think that was coming from gordon barry who there's been clips of a speech he did at Camp X online where he's talking about um, all of this stuff, and he's talking about having talked to Maxime, meaning Maxime Bernier. Oh, you know, so I mean, I mean, I know Maxime Bernier is the head of the People's Party now, and that comes with it a, a kind of, uh, you know, a, a kind of skepticism about his like influence. But I mean, you got to keep in mind, Maxime Bernier was half a percent from being leader of the conservative party mm-hmm. um, was once like foreign. I think he was foreign affairs minister. That was his position. So it's, you know, you take, you know, you could obviously take Maxine Bernier as part of the fringe now, but I mean, he wasn't always that fringy. It's no, I, I think a lot of them see Polyev as their guy. I really do. Mm. You know, that goodwill giving them the donuts. Well, until he's, it, he's never backtracked. He's never said, you know, he's he's never dialed it down from being associated with them. He's been teasing them. Same no. Danielle Smith does it too. But at so, the same at the same time, though, like Polyver is uh, an institutionalist, and so he will only go so far. And you can't go halfway with these people. You have to go all the way. Right, but he'll go far enough to get their votes. I think. Yeah, well, round one, you sure? But I mean, yeah. but I mean, how how far can you take it when these people are talking about like going to Freemason headquarters to end this once and for all? It it's I mean that that has no bearing or basis in reality, and I, I mean we're seeing what happens when reality clashes with the the, the widespread fantasy of the electorate in the United States. Um, still no speaker of the house there, at least as as our recording. So. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our interview with Michelle Richardson 
You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Number one on the current CFRU chart. Last to number one in the 70s, for those of us that remember 45s and K-Tells, you may recognize that song. It's called Inuna Ravi, which, if you remember the old version, Born to be Alive, the disco hit. Mm-hmm. And is in Inuktitut. The LP, in fact, is called Inuktitut. The artist was Elisipi, and I'm so glad that that album is number one because the first time I heard that, I'm like, I know this song, <laughs> but I haven't heard it in 40 years. <laughs> so, yeah, kid- that whole album is, is full of gems. Absolutely. And kids, ask your grandparents about KTEL. Or me. <laughs> or Scotty. <laughs> Send a postcard to the Hertz Bunker in the ward. <laughs> <laughs> Go down to the bulletin board at York Road Park. Scotty Hertz will see it when he walks by there tomorrow. Bring your Dakota ring and you'll be able to see That's right. That's right. He'll tear leave your leave leave your phone number on several little pieces of paper. He'll tear one off and take it home. Um Yeah, learn oh. how an actual conspiracy <laughs> theorist works. <laughs> Rumored. It's all it's all rumors and conjecture. <laughs> I admit to nothing. What what were we doing next? Oh, yeah. Um, So I got a chance to talk to Ward 3 Counselor Michelle Richardson uh, late last week. Uh, This was coming right off of a a housing, um, not a housing workshop, but a budget workshop. And obviously, the two are pretty connected, housing and budget. Uh, The city's being asked to do a lot more with less all in the efforts to try and uh, generate some more housing in the city to tackle our housing crisis. It is looking to be a very difficult budget process this year indeed, and Michelle's going to share some of her insights about that. So I will hit play on our interview with Michelle Richardson starting right now. Okay, Michelle Richardson, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, So we're recording this on Thursday. Um, Last night was... Uh, a workshop meeting at council about the budget and how the budget is changing this year because it's the first like four-year multi-year budget but it's also you know uh, a bunch of changes coming uh, from the top down on this Um, so I guess let's start off with uh, what are your concerns right now about you know heading into budget season in a couple weeks I have a couple of concerns my biggest one is Really, you know, this is my first budget cycle. So it's a it's a it's a big budget as a new counselor to wrap your head around, understand how the whole process works, um, where we have some movement, those those kind of things. And it seems to be a very fast cycle. We like we get a mm. November 3rd and then we've got 30 days. And so you know, I'm 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 more of a thoughtful thinker. So uh, you know, that'll be a challenge for me. But uh, good support from the other councils, council members for sure. Um, 
my biggest biggest concern is the the tax levy that's going that we're going to have to settle on because it's going to be high and my my you know i i think we're going to see i know they talked about the workshops they were working on not having service cuts i don't know how we're going to manage without service cuts mm. um you know we you, there's the big focus is on homelessness 100 percent, and nobody wants to see anybody without a, a bed for their head but we also have to take into consideration that that middle class people where you know they bought their homes you know especially young families bought their homes in the height of covid and uh we don't want to make them homeless by, you know, <laughs> taxing them so much that they can't manage with their mortgage and property taxes and uh, the other expenses that they need to survive. You think that, that there's there is going to have to be some like service level cuts because the staff seem to shoo that idea away pretty quickly. They did, but I, 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 I and again, I'm new to this process. I may be, but I, I can't see how we can maintain the same level mm. and. And still have a, a reasonable, which isn't going to be a normal reasonable uh, tax increase. Something mm-hmm. you got to give somewhere, right? Like mm. it's you can't just say, "Oh yeah, we're going to keep everything the same, but we're going to do it all with less money." Um, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, coming along with that too, you know, next, I guess at the end of the month, um, or on the twenty fourth, which is the the week before the end of the month. I guess we don't work on Halloween. Um, <laughs> but at, at that meeting, like we're getting the cult, like for the final ratification, the culture master plan, the, yeah. uh, you know, public art policy, parks and rec master plan. I mean, all of these. And I think those, at least the culture and arts piece, like when people are looking for places to cut, that's usually the first places, but we're getting these new like policy directions that I think are based on ideas that we are proceeding with expanding rec programs, expanding parks, um, making having more cultural access. I mean, there's I don't know if Mike Salisbury is going to de- delegate at the budget meeting, but, you know, there, there's a there's a group of people who are like saying, like, hey, let's have an art center at the drill hall, which is probably not going to come cheap. And they're probably going to be asking for city support to make that happen. I know. I know. And that's that's the hard part. Like, you know, we have we I, I don't think, you know, when I actually ran one of my things, the uh reasons that I ran was I knew this was going to be a difficult uh, recovery after COVID. And I wanted to make sure that we were making, you know, good, sound, responsible decisions. Mm. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I wasn't, mm. you know, I was really taken aback a little bit by that on how much, you know, we're starting with even just our homelessness um, housing project with the county. We're starting $5 million in debt with that. And then all of the other uh, downloads that are coming from the province with mm-hmm. really no support from the province, the money's got to come from somewhere and there it's going to be really difficult, but I, I just can't see how we're not going to have uh, some cuts with things that we would love to have, but mm-hmm. I don't think we can do them right now. I could be wrong. They may be, there may be some real uh, budget whizzes out there who can uh, <laughs> uh, help me see, see a different side, but I, I'm significantly concerned about that right now. There may be some change in the couch cushions. Um, but I mean, one of the things I took away from from the budget workshop was I think um I, I think the last gasp of hope that the province is gonna ride into the rescue with with a check. I think that they're and I think the mayor himself sort of summed it up. It's like, well, we were here this time last year, 
I think it was almost literally this time last year. It was it was the day after the election when it, Bill Twenty Three was announced, um, and the province said, you know, we're we're going to make you whole. But I, I think as the mayor outlined, those have been like, in, in so much as making you whole is kind of a vague statement. The promises themselves have also been super vague in terms of what we can expect and what the province defines as making us whole. And that's the million dollar question, right? Like you, you look at the other expenses that the province has with the, you know, our healthcare is in rough shape. Our uh, schools are in, are in a difficult situation mm. and uh, homelessness and mental health services. I, I don't know where they're going to come up with, it's all going to come from us, right? They all, everyone, we all get their government gets their money from all the same source. Right. So, but to, to say that they're going to keep 444 municipalities in Ontario whole, if everybody meets their goals, I don't know how, how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess the question is, have, have we reached the the limits about what the city is sort of capable of doing? Because, you know, we were talking about social services um, at, at the committee yesterday. Uh, the Sanguine Health Van was there and the Sanguine Health Van is is looking for funds um, because you don't know this. I was there, so I'm telling you. But, you know, the, it's it's a it's like a, I think it's two hundred and seventy thousand dollars for them to operate the, the services they're offering right now. The. 80% of that is covered out of Health Canada. That funding expires. And while Health Canada is is like handing out sort of more funding in this area, it's for new projects. It's not to like to keep the projects that are currently afloat going. Okay. Um, yeah. And and so it just like we, we it, it now it seems, you know, downloading seems to be happening all the time. It's like we have this provincial thing um, with the development charges and all that but at, at the federal level too health canada starts something and it's kind of up to us to to keep it going once it started and i think that's been a a, a long-standing um problem with things when they get downloaded from the, from the feds or or the province the mm. thing is it's always been relatively manageable right it's never been mm. putting us you know 227 millions in, in debt over the next 10 years like those numbers are astronomical and they're not attainable. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that any municipality could could manage that. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I remember <laughs> I remember back when the, the housing pledge was passed and, and there were a lot of delegates there who were saying like essentially just say no to the housing pledge. And there was some sort of like people you know, I, I think some counselors were like, you know, maybe we should just say no. But on the other hand, we don't want to play. We don't want to be we, we don't want to appear like we're not playing ball right? because, you, you know, in case the government feels spiteful. But I feel like it, we're at a point now where, you know, councils at least willing. And it seemed like from some of the questions that councils kind of walking up the line, it's like, well, hey, maybe we should say no and saying like, this is what it's going to cost us to to reach this goal. And if you're not going to come up with you know, uh, our our support, we can't meet the pledge. I guess, it, it, have, are, are we approaching that limit? I mean, is there, is that conflict kind of inevitable at this point? I I, I believe, I believe it is. Um, you know, we all signed the pledge knowing that we weren't even sure we could meet the, the goal. Mm. We, can we build the infrastructure fast enough? You know, it, it, it's, we're, we're not even sure that we can meet it, but you're right. We have to show that we're, on board and that everybody and and we are in the sense that we want to do the right thing we want to get uh 
homes for people and make our our, our city affordable and uh, a great community to live. But so I was really happy with the conversations that were happening at council last night where, where they're saying, okay, well, let's start and see where we go and reassess. And mm. that's my kind of methodology. It's like, okay, well, let's take small chunks now. Let's do a little bit, see where we are. Did we budget that right amount? Is this, holy smokes, we've only got this much done. And where we, it co- it's cost us more than uh, we anticipated because of labor rates or labor shortages or uh, time delays. Who, who knows what all that is? So I think that's, I, I was happy to hear that last night. And I think that's a good way to start. Uh, by saying, you know what, let's let's open the door, go through and see where we go and just assess along the way. Are you prepared? And you kind of address this in, in one of your questions. You know, are, are you kind of prepared? But like the we're, we're talking in vague generalities about what the tax lobby is going to look like. But I mean, a number is going to be released. And I think no matter what that number is, even if it's, you know, on on the lower side, I think people are are going to have a, a certain negative reaction to it. So I guess, are you prepared, um, or do you feel prepared that uh, you you know you're going to be in the whirlwind when the budget drops and you're going to be, um, I, I guess like just really confronted with like just a, a general anger about the ask that you know members of the community I think are going to have. Yeah. And that's what we signed up for, right? Um, like I said, I didn't think it was going to be this big, but I think it's really important to get that message out there is that the re- reason it's like this is not necessarily poor management at the city or that we have a planned. The city's, you know, historically, um, they didn't do a good job as far as preventive maintenance and infrastructure. Mm. Uh, and we've, they've been really been working the last, you know, eight years or so and doing a really good job fixing that. I mean, it's a lot of construction in the summer and it's frustrating, but we were just kind of getting back on track and then we got hit with this. So um, yeah, people have to understand that this was caused by the more, more by the province than anybody else. And we don't really have a choice. It's not like I can say, yeah, I'm going to vote for that increase because I want all of these things. It's like, I'm going to have to vote for this increase and I'm not even going to get near the things that we were hoping to. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let me ask you about that. Like, do you have like any sort of personal priorities going into the budget? Like any, like anything in particular, or is like sort of affordability kind of your focus, you know, anything on top of that is, is gravy. Is, is that how you're approaching it? And see, this is where I lack a little bit of uh, experience <laughs> in that budget process, right? Cause I don't know, all all of the line like to go line by line and say hey you know are we going to have to cut i don't even want to say it out there in case i someone's going to hear it and get mad (laughs) (laughs) you know but if we have to cut some recreation programs Mm. you know and uh, swimming pool hours and things like that um i don't want to do that but is that something that we might have to look at and part of it is you know staffing too right I, I I just don't know. Um, like I, I loved the conversation last night about the asset management. Mm. Looking to see, okay, normally this would have been, uh, Dan, uh, Councillor Gibson had a really good point. Normally this would have been a, re, a, a time to replace a particular uh, something or other, whether it was right. been in a building like an HVAC system or something. But you know what? It's not looking too bad. Let's, uh, fit, you know, just replace some belts and motors and maybe we can get an extra couple of years out of it. 
but I don't want to do that to our detriment. It's got to be done responsibly, right? Like you got to right. say, oh, you're going to have two years out of this, but then two years from now, it's going to cost you twice as much money to buy a new furnace. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think, to, to your earlier point, I think we've been kind of the victim of a lot of short-term thinking when it comes to budgeting. It's like, well, we can put it off next year. And then next year comes, it's like, well, maybe we can put it off another year. Um, and that was supposed to be the issue that multi-year budgeting was supposed to resolve. And I think it just maybe casts it a bit more starkly that looking at looking at it in more of the long term rather than year to year. Yeah, and we didn't get it. We haven't got enough, you know, I mean, enough years in that multi-year budget to really see what we were the benefits that we were going to get from that right um and this is the other piece i wanted to ask about mayor guthrie had sort of like a, a it wasn't really a rousing call it was kind of like a kind of <laughs> appeal to the better angels and i did notice at one point on on uh workshop night uh he was talking to you and phil and he had talked you know kind of had a huddle with with linda and Kathy and Dominique, and this is after he had a huddle with staff. Um, can you talk a bit about the huddle? What was all the huddling about? I think it was just being cautious about what we were saying. Okay. You know, we please don't, you know, say that, you know, it's going to be a, you know, you think it might be a 20% rate hike increase because we, we just didn't want to uh, instill any panic. So we just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page that we weren't going to give our personal because we don't we don't know yet we really truly don't right yeah so, okay it was said, a it was the dope know, panic speech i got it <laughs> and he, he wasn't really he was just asking do you agree we shouldn't throw any numbers out because we don't want to start the fair enough fair enough yeah, so that's all that was about and i mean you kind of made the point too that you will see the numbers when members of the public see the numbers and that's i mean a lot of this is kind of directed because of the, the short window for the strong mayor powers that's it's like a, now a tight 30 minute window as soon as the thing is released it's the countdown to um the the 30 day when you know if the mayor decides to veto the budget um council then has the option to override and all this has to be done in 30 days too doesn't really i mean to your point doesn't really leave a lot of room for you to become an expert on what, I, I don't even know how big the physical budget b book is, like 500 pages. Does that sound right? Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> our county one's a, a good 300, maybe. Like mm. So, and that would be smaller than a, uh, the city one. So I can imagine yeah. you're probably pretty close. Um, but that's been a bit of my challenge my whole this whole first year. Like, you know, we could see all this download coming and all this debt coming and all this load that we were going to have to carry. And yet all through the year, we were asking, you know, people were asking for money for this and money for that. And I was very hesitant to take from reserves mm. uh, because I knew we were, we were going to need them. I didn't necessarily know what for, but I knew that there was going to be uh, things that we were going to need those reserves. So I didn't want to draw down. And it made decisions, I found for me personally, it made some of those decisions really difficult to make because I wasn't mm. comfortable feeling like I knew what that full impact, if I made that decision today or voted for that today, if six months from now, I was going to say, oh, we probably shouldn't have done that now because this is our budget situation. So hopefully mm. next year, after I've been through the cycle once, I'll have a better sense of uh, uh, what to look at for that. Are you and Phil planning a, a town hall for the budget? We are, yep. Yeah. Um, 
I think we tentatively have the 13th. Okay. That's we do need a staff member there because I know that we won't be able to answer all the questions. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, would certainly have a much. He's been through the process a couple times, so he's going to have a much better grasp than I. But I wouldn't feel comfortable being able to field all the questions that are going to come from the public. So we have to coordinate yeah. staff, a location, uh, but that's the tentative date that we're looking at. Okay, good. Um, I do like I do like town halls. Um, I do too, actually. Yeah, no, we haven't had haven't had one in a while. I think the last one was one Leanne and Kathy had in the spring. Um, let's get off budget stuff. Just like what's you know your awards three counselor. What's kind of going on in your backyard right now? Like, what are people haranguing you about when they're e- e- sending you emails? <laughs> a lot of it is the um, we've had a lot of activity in Sunny Acres Park. Mm. You know, they have they still have a waiting pool that was there when I was a child. Same waiting pool. uh, they we had we had trouble staffing it so there were some reduced hours for that we had trouble staffing it and because it's a waiting pool and we're much wiser now than we were when I was a child that pool has to be emptied every uh four hours and and refilled Mm. uh, like health requirements so that takes also staff and uh, quite a bit of time so uh we had a little bit of kerfuffle around the uh change in the hours so we were able to manage that once we got some uh, feedback from some of the residents um traffic and noise is still a big one mm. uh, of course the summer construction and speed bumps and traffic being redirected down streets um has been a big issue because we've had a lot of big projects on this this you know especially that Woolwich and Speedville uh-huh that infrastructure uh, work has caused a lot of grief for a lot of people in that exhibition park area. Yeah, no, I was I was gonna say uh, ask about Speedvale in particular. Um, maybe to wrap up, I, I want to ask you a bit about your day job. For people who don't know, you are the I think you're the assistant human resources director. If I I, I want to make sure I I identified you correctly, but. Okay. but but you work at Wellington Terrace, which people may not know is a long-term care home in Fergus. Yep. Um, getting cold outside, which makes people think about, you know, cold and flu season and now RSV and, and COVID-19. And I I can't remember off the top of my head if there was an outbreak at Wellington Terrace recently. But I mean, it is a reminder that, you know, um, you're kind of in, in the thick of it and that when we're, we're, when we talk about the concerns around COVID or RSV or even the cold and flu, um, we think about the the effects on our older population, especially in congregate settings like long term care homes. So I guess um, from where, you, literally from where you're sitting right now, how does the how does how do things look? Are everybody there ready for whatever may come? You know what? It's never left us, to be honest with you. Mm. It's been, you know, whether it's a, you know, a case or two of COVID or an RSV or um, there's always, you know, frail and fragile people here that have some cold symptoms. And uh, so my my heart really, truly hurts for the for the frontline staff in long term care, because we all get a break from like we're still we're, we're wearing masks. We only had maybe a couple of months in the summer where we didn't wear masks. Right. We back on super quick uh, in September, I believe. Uh, <laughs> so, but for the most part, it's it's certainly not uh, to the same level that it was, mm. like as far as the number of cases. And uh, we have some, you know, I'm sure most of the long term care homes do, but we 
uh, have a, a really great infection control uh, measures in place and, and people who take care of that. And we isolate residents, um, you know, just in their room if they have uh, symptoms, even if they're mild, just for a day or two to see if they uh, um, uh, get any worse. And if they don't, and they, they then so we're, we really get out in front of it and ahead of it. But it's, right. hard, on, it's hard on the, the long-term care staff, um, probably all across the world have just been working so, so hard and tirelessly. Um, I can't give them enough credit. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten your flu vid yet? Your flu- uh, no, we don't. Uh, they do it here at work for us. So I mm. think it's the uh, next week, I think, is the, uh, the the date that we'll be getting them. Uh, okay, good to know. Um, just to maybe put a bring us full circle here as well, it, you know, important reminder long-term care is also housing too and uh we we have our own long-term care facility in guelph or that the city um helps uh administer which is you know uh the elliott community i can't believe it blanked on the name for a minute but you know it's uh long-term care is housing too and and you know that sector needs some some love and support as well i'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's really true and i think people forget about that Mm -hmm. and i think uh People sometimes think because someone's in their own home, right? They're doing okay, and you know we don't have enough long-term care beds. And I was so thankful to hear that the Elliott got some extra beds. I think I believe St. Joe's did as well. Yep. Um, so, which is really great. But again, we have a huge gap there. Um, people are are at home and, and struggling at home. Absolutely. Um. Well, unfortunately, we have to leave the struggle there. But uh, Michelle Richardson, thank you so much for uh, giving us some of your time today. It's appreciated. Oh, thanks very much, Adam. And once again, that was Michelle Richardson, Ward 3 City Councilor. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. We're going to obviously be getting some more people in here as we get into November and budget stuff. It's going to be budget madness all month long here in Guelph City Council. <laughs> it's crazy budget stuff. I don't know if it'll be crazy. Maybe it'll be. Maybe it'll be okay. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Slightly crazy. It gets people, certain people, excited, right? Uh, well, you used to get Pat Fung excited. I don't know. I haven't seen Pat Fung in a city council meeting in a while. The my taxes gang. Yeah, yeah. Like COVID seemed to take them out. Like I don't know if they're. When I say take them out, I don't mean like take them (laughs) out. But it just. I. I don't know. It's. I kind of miss them. Things were simpler then. <laughs> yes, things were simpler then, weren't they? It was just a blog and a, and a sheaf of papers. And, yeah. Oh, man, spreadsheets. Oh. Uh, anyway, that's it for this Memories. week's show. <laughs> we hope you liked it. If you'd like to listen to our show again, you can download it every Monday from our website at opensourcesguelph.com, the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or from your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire or on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I'll be back here on CFRU Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show I co-host called End Credits. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. Or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter X, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Yes, indeed. That's one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, which is this station. 
And as for this show, we'll be back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources Guelph, and we will see you then.